Good evening. It's the history of the Tottenham. I'm sorry it didn't cost 55 million, so it cannot be good. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Some of the passing is fucking scratching. We are in Champions League, man. Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. Sit down! Sit down! He's 24 years old. For me, if he's not got it now, when is he going to get it? And I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Together, together, together. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to the Merseyside edition of the Armchair Managers. And we're joined by a really exciting panel of guests today. And as always, I'm hosting with my dear friend Siba. How's it going, bro? Not so bad. What's going on, man? Are you excited about the uh, the episode today? We've got, we've got some exciting people with us. Yeah, we do. And it's uh, some big fixtures this weekend. Yeah, um, after a dreaded two weeks of international football. Man, I, I really I can't stand the this Nations League thing, but let's get into it later. Yeah, we, we'll probably yeah definitely get into that. So first and foremost, we're joined here by uh, my younger brother who was with us in our first ever episode. He's a diehard Arsenal fan, and he goes by Ayman. How's it going, bro? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Are you yeah, sure it's your brother? Are you just met? No, no, no. We've, we've, we've known each He's other. He's like, hi, how are you? <laughs> See, I think that Sorry. was you, Sibs. All right. All right. Yes, Welcome back, Ayman. Welcome back. Welcome back. And uh, representing the red side of Liverpool, we've got Callum Birchall. Callum, back again with us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. How are you all? Yeah, doing fantastic. Really looking forward to uh, talking all things Merseyside Derby today. Yeah, same. There's quite a lot to talk about on both sides of the um, Stanley Park anyway. Yeah, and, and Liverpool, a bit of a wounded animal going into this one. It's a bit of a different, a different affair. Yeah, just a tad. Yeah. Back stronger, eh? <laughs> and of course, representing the blue side of Merseyside, my man, David Heaton. How's it going, Dave? <laughs> How are we doing, gents? Yeah, doing well. You're looking forward to this one, yeah? I mean, I'm looking forward to the game. I'm not looking forward to the 6 a.m. wake up, but... Yeah, we've got an early one. Yeah, it's not fun. Now it's going to be a good so, game. So, I mean, let's go right into it. The Merseyside Derby. Uh, we're playing at Goodison. And Dave, last time we spoke, you mentioned how, you know, kind of the home and away form element of football kind of goes out the window with these um, empty stadiums. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to change the the way the derby's played. I think. I mean, I know the last derby I went to, um, they had not only did they have the Z cars going at the start, but they also had the they started bringing in the sirens that Tony Bellew used to come out to before his boxing matches. And I don't know why, but that just seemed to <laughs> elevate the crowd even more. So it was one of the craziest atmospheres I've seen at a game in a long, long time. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel, I feel like that would give the the, the fans obviously more to cheer about and also the players that's more belief that they've got the fans behind them so have, not having that and just sort of having an empty crowd I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they can still sort of perform the same level um, as they would do without sort of having the fans there because I know it will make a big difference especially in a, in a game like this where it's you know everyone there is needing to win more than more than most weeks now, Dave, being from Merseyside as well as Callum, uh, I want to ask both of you, uh, how many Merseyside derbies have you personally attended? Uh, 20-ish. Wow. Give or take. Home and away. Uh, only home. Just uh, getting derby tickets away is like gold dust. You, you yeah. get like 4,000 tickets and they're gone within like an hour to every guy and his best mate. <laughs> what about you, Cal? Um, personally, me, I've been to all mine have been at Anfield. Um, I've been to three, but technically two of them I worked as I worked at oh, Anfield. Oh, yeah. So, Cal, Cal does a bit of uh, work yeah. on match days. Yeah, it's quite a, quite a fun experience when you can sneak out and um, see the game for a bit. But apart from that, I've not. The tickets at Anfield are just uh, they're a bit pricey, especially like what David said then about um, Derby Day. They just they go so quickly. 
Um, and then we normally hand it out to, I guess, the season ticket holders beforehand and anyone that's um, a Liverpool fan club member. So it's difficult to get hold of them. Yeah, I, I definitely imagine it would be, especially with such a mouth-watering and famous fixture in English football. Uh, that being said, uh, David has mentioned prior that most of his family are all Blues. They're all Toffees, uh, aside from his father, who was a United fan. Callum, it's not quite the case in your family. And uh, your mom is the reason you're a Liverpool fan. So you, you want to yeah. tell us a little, shed some light on that? Yeah, why not? Um, so my family split 50-50. My, um, both my dad and my sister are Everton fans, and then me and my mom are Liverpool fans, and then probably most of my own side of the family. I think pretty much all of them are Liverpool fans. And then there's a few on my dad's side, which are Everton. Um, but yeah, maybe I can say I, was, I am a bit of a turncoat when I was about seven. I I did I well I grew up being an Everton fan and then I went to a football camp and I got a bit bullied for wearing the Everton kit and I came back crying to my mum and then she <laughs> took, took me off to Sports Direct and got me the newest Liverpool kit and I guess that's where it changed from there onwards. The switch wasn't around two thousand five, was it? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was a There's few so days many kids into high school who would after that Istanbul game switch from Everton to Liverpool. Oh. Ridiculous. <laughs> Gas behavior. <laughs> <laughs> so this this game, we're coming off the back of some really interesting form for both clubs. Everton currently sit undefeated, you know, with a hundred percent record at the top of the table. And Liverpool, the reigning champions, have just come off the back of the most humiliating defeat I think I've ever seen a defending champion ever be on the receiving end of in the Premier League history. So do you feel that, Dave, I'm going to ask you first, do you feel Everton has a lot more to play for? I mean, granted, the Derby is always going to get everyone up for the game and fired up and, you know, just proper gas and up for it. But now that you're at the top of the t- league table, started, started with such scintillating form and playing your biggest rival, local rival, who are also the reigning champions, do you, do you think the kind of promise of not only defeating them, but also remaining top of the table with a manager who's a proven winner all across Europe adds a little bit of extra kind of motivation for the players. Uh, yes. And I mean, I wouldn't say no, but the, obviously going into the derby, regardless of whether we're top, whether we're bottom, whether we're 10th on the table, like you, you're always going to want to win. You know, you want to do it for the fans. You know, it's, it's the bragging rights of the next sort of three, four months before the next game. You know, the thing with Liverpool and, and a lot of UK derbies that you probably don't get the same out of over here is, you know, you go to work with these people the next day, you go to school with them, you know, you see them on a daily basis. So it's it's very much a sort of bragging rights things amongst friends and colleagues. So the fans always want the players to win. And the players always want to do with the fans. So I think oh, it's always going to be that way. Saying that now that we're top of the league, yes, there is that added pressure of, all right, we need to sort of keep this run going. Can we prove that it's not just a little purple patch and we can be genuine contenders? So I feel like Ancelotti is the type of guy who will keep that mentality going with them. He's not going to let them sort of slack off and, and sort of take it for granted where they are. He's the type of guy who will say, right, we need to keep this going, you know, as long as physically possible. Do you think Ancelotti will change anything tactically in his approach to this match, given not. the circumstances? I hope not. I, f- I feel like a lot, a lot of times in the derbies, years gone by, even under Moyes, you know, we'd be doing well doing a certain thing, you know, playing certain tactics, playing a certain team. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's the derby. You know, we need to play five at the back. We need to drop this player because he doesn't work hard enough, you know. And we'd end up losing because we weren't playing the way we were playing or we're just being too defensive, we're being too naive, we're too scared of Liverpool. Um, you know, hence we, why we haven't beat them since uh, 2010, I think, was the last time we beat them. Which Good is decade. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping he sticks to what, he know, you know, what we've been doing well this season and if he, if he does, then I, I feel we've got a genuine chance of beating them. And Callum, for you, I think this is probably the first time in your lifetime as a Liverpool fan that you've seen Everton 
in 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 this tier of football, like this kind of level that they now have with their new acquisitions, their manager, this kind of new project that's blossoming under Carlo Ancelotti over on the blue side of Merseyside. Uh, how does it? How does it? Does it concern you? Does it kind of change the uh, prospect of this match for you a little bit? Um. Yeah, I guess it does make me a bit nervous, but in the sense, I don't know. Every time we go to Goodison, the, it, well, for as long as I remember now, the, apart from the win two years ago, it's always it's always a draw. But definitely the form that they've been in, and I guess the the lack of confidence that Liverpool kind of shown and since the um, project lockdown is it's quite worrying. Um, and obviously Everton's. New acquisitions in the centre of midfield are, are really pushing the team forward and putting them back where they where they belong really after a long time. But it, for me, it's quite nice to I don't want to sound arrogant, but to have a bit more a bit more of a competition within the derby. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it in general. Um, uh, as the United and Arsenal fans, I can tell you that you should probably be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, it could come back to bite me. But then at the same time, I feel form form always goes out the window with the derbies. Yeah. Um, as soon as the first, the, as soon as the first tackles in, that's when you know it's um, war has begun. So mistakes will be made, and I don't know, communication will, I guess, deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. But are you, you, are you just um, talking about your mum and dad then? What'd you say? Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were just talking about your mom and dad when you say communication will deteriorate. Yeah, in the whole family, <laughs> divorce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to ask Callum, like, um, or, well, a question to both Callum and Dave here. I mean, you said it is a derby and form does go out the window, but don't you think that aspect is already kind of missing with the fans being absent uh, from the stadium? Like that tension yeah. of a derby. Yeah, I've I think I think that it does go out the window in terms of physical um atmosphere, but I think that the players know their history. They know what like what it means to the city and in, like as Dave said, like you work with you work with opposite supporters, you go to school with opposite supporters, you're around you're you're around like that community so much. So I think and I feel I feel like both clubs do build their reputation and their like character from the people that support them themselves. So I feel like the players know the weight of the share and the weight of like this like fixture in general. Dave, uh, we've we talked a bit um, off air about Everton as a local club and what they do for the community and also their fans. I know you kind of had the opportunity to be on the grass at Goodison and you've even been gifted a pair of awesome Umbro football boots by the club. Um, do, you, do you feel that Everton do more perhaps than Liverpool uh, for, for their fans and for their fan culture and to like kind of feed into that sense of this is our club, this is our local club, this is, these are our boys that go out and put the, put the shirts on for us. Um, I mean, Everton are very well known for the sort of the community work they do in the UK. I mean, I don't think there's a club that does more, um, not just even in the area, like in the whole sort of UK that does more. Yep. community-wise in Everton you see all the time there's um, lots of videos you see the players going to you know local schools local hospitals sort of a lot of charity work they do within the club um, it's always good to see and I think a lot of players have come in and I've seen them speak about it like so Andre Gomez Yeri Mina uh, even James Rodriguez spoke about it they say how it's, it's it really makes you feel like a family club because you know everyone's involved from the ground up Everyone feels, you know, happy to be there. It's such a good atmosphere around the club, and that's all. It's always nice to see on our, on our side. You know, it's, you know, you, you like to see a club not only doing well on the field, but also doing a lot off the field. You know, they're in a position where they can sort of give back, and it's nice to see they do so. So yeah, I feel like it, it sort of makes the team feel like one big family. And I sort of, you know, when when you play in big games like this, it can almost give you that push that you want to, you know, you know, you want to do your best for everyone to sort of, you know, succeed not only for yourself but for your team. So. Yeah, I think they do a lot. I mean, Liverpool also do a fair bit themselves, so it's not, you know, not a pop at them at all. But yeah, um, <laughs> I think as well definitely... during lockdown, both Everton and Liverpool came together for some community work. I know that there was a lot of delivering to food banks and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. 
and there's always um normally when the uh, crowds are involved there's normally food banks outside the stadiums where people just come in i guess and donate to these charities and stuff which is is good callum what the kind of newfound uh what do, what do i call it like <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of favoritism in the media towards Liverpool, like, you know, given your recent European and domestic successes, uh, do you feel that uh, the hype is a bit over the top at, at this point, given given the way that you've started the season? Or do you think that's just an effect of maybe fatigue or arrogant tactics or a little bit of lack of preseason? I, I, even though I know Liverpool had a kind of four-match preseason before the start of the season. Yeah, I think in general, like I was, I know we ended the 30 year wait or whatever, but I, I, I genuinely <laughs> do feel that the media representation afterwards was over the top. It's nice to see like the LFC TV stuff, um, creating videos with inside the club and things like that. But I felt, I don't know, just some of the representations were just a bit too much, um, which may have added further pressure, but then at the same time, it is a big celebration for the club. But then, I guess in recent weeks, there has been a worry of me over arrogance of some of the players. Um, I'm thinking they've already proved themselves, they've won the league. Um, but I, I keep going back to some of the interviews that were made um, once they won. And it was like, how do you keep yourself motivated now? And you've got to stay hungry and you've got to, you've got to want more. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just a blip and the lack of preseason and... Um, the lack of rest that the players have been able to get and time with the families and obviously COVID, that yeah. um, it's affecting them on the pitch. Well, it's probably affecting every single team. Because um, given given the massive lead that you guys had for the majority of the campaign last season, a lot of people that I know that are you know, avid fans of the Premier League and support various clubs, including Liverpool, were going on about how Liverpool were going to go on to like a kind of five-year period of dominance given... The, even the margin between them and Man City. So do you think that was uh, a bit too overhyped and, and, and expecting a bit too much and that football is not going to be as cyclical as it once was? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like Liverpool were never going to, well, maybe they can do it another year, but they were never going to finish the year on 100 points after the season other teams had. They were always going, other teams were always going to invest, make the team stronger. I mean, it's what the Premier League does. Like the, the competition yeah. is so strong, and and even from down from the top of the league all the way down to, I guess, before relegation, the the competition, like any team could slip up and cause problems for any team. So, yeah, I think in terms of the the point you make about we're going to go on for five years, no, I I I can't see it. It's like you say, it's not like the era of Man United and Chelsea and. Like those years, yeah, um, yeah. It's a different environment. You, 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 want, you wanted to say Arsenal, but you paused. <laughs> no, yeah, I was, I was trying to think back. <laughs> I'll throw um, in I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring Ayman and Siba into the conversation a little bit. Um, so Arsenal, I think, have definitely shown clear signs of improvement under Mikel Arteta, given he hasn't even had a full season yet. Um, are you guys excited about the signing of Thomas Partey? Do you feel he'll be si- uh, starting against City tomorrow? Well, actually, recently they just released like pictures of him training and everything on the Arsenal Instagram. So I'm hoping he starts. But my worry is whether we play four at the back or we play three at the back. Because it's all about team selection right now for Arteta, I think, for this game in particular. Yeah, I don't think there's a reason why he shouldn't start. Uh, he just played with uh, Ghana in the Nations League. And he's match fit. He's a significant upgrade on any midfielder we have. Um, regarding formation, I, I think Arteta might be tempted to try uh, a four at the back um, with party in it, like a three in the midfield. But not for this game uh, at the weekend with City. I think he's still going to be a bit reserved with... Uh, his approach. Especially because, you know, the absence of Kieran Tierney. Uh, actually, put at the left back, you know. I, I, well, so with Kieran Tierney, what's happened is uh, he was uh, serving with Scotland for the Nations League. And 
supposedly he came into contact with a player who's tested positive for COVID. Uh, and as a result, they've asked him to like quarantine for like 14 days. But what I'm hearing today is um, Arsenal might have successfully appealed the decision and have him back in the squad uh, for that okay. game. So fingers crossed. Otherwise, we might see Kalasanac <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> playing, playing on the left of that three, uh, three-man defense. You, you say oh, no. you say oh no with uh, you know Siba mentioning Kalasanac Ayman. Uh, do you think there still needs to be a lot of clearouts at Arsenal um, with the yeah, squad? Yeah, I think Arsenal even tried to do it, but like at the state of like the market and COVID and everything, it's hard to let players go, and a lot of clubs have like you know seen that as well, where they couldn't release players. Like you see teams like Real Madrid not even making a signing, so that's when you know like. The window is completely different from usual. So yeah. we we offered like a lot of players. Um, we only got Ganduzi and Torreira out and they're not even the problem. They weren't like the dead wood that we needed to get removed. Like players like Mustafi, Kalasanac, Ozil. Wenger signings, I'd say, you know, like Ozil. All these players need to go. And with the high wages they're on right now, like the structure of the club and the wages... No team is willing to pay that for these kind of players. Because, Iman, uh, with the matter of Mesut Ozil, I know uh, Gordon has been on the podcast previously talking about how you know he just doesn't rate him anymore. He just wants him out of the club. I know you, growing up, especially since uh, you know you broke the transfer record, the then transfer record for Arsenal for Mesut Ozil from Real Madrid. Um, you've loved watching him in an Arsenal shirt. You, you've idolized him. You've had his his kit on your back as well. Um, how do you feel about the situation? Do you think he's done and dusted? I know he hasn't been registered in your uh, Europa League squad. I think he, at this point, he's done. I think he's not in the plans for the team. It was his birthday, like the other day, I think, and yes, they just they. put one post. Yeah, they put one post, and <laughs> all the comments are like, "Play him, then play him, play him." But I don't think <laughs> he's gonna get played. I think he still has the ability, but I don't think his mindset is right right now. Well, I mean, either way, Ayman, like, where, where does he play in the current system? Well, now that we have party, a box-to-box, and we can keep Chaka in there as, like, the defensive, he could play as the attacking midfielder in a 4-2-3-1 with Aubameyang up front or Pepe or any wingers. We could use him as a number 10, like a classic number 10, but I'm not sure if he has the speed and, like, work rate that Arteta wants. That's the thing for me as well, because I mean that that sounds like an ideal like formation or system to play him in, especially with the acquisition of Party. But it makes sense if the game's going your way, like against you know lower opposition or weaker sides. But what happens like when we're playing I don't know like a Sheffield and we have to dig deep, and you need someone exactly. like a midfield to come back and and you know make the run or, or track back and and recover the That's ball. That's where Sabios you know would come into play, but. It's always good to have Oza on the bench as an option even, but we're not even doing that. So 350 like K for a Fortnite player, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think what's interesting is like with Mesut Ozil, you guys both kind of bring up the conversation topic of work rate and how Arteta wants that kind of grafting midfield. I think in recent times, like last couple of seasons, we've seen Liverpool and Klopp, you know, have that kind of gagan pressing uh high work rate uh midfield as well as you know the forwards and everyone kind of contributing to winning the ball back in a counter press um also with everton david you've you've seen you know with the acquisitions of Dekure and uh alan like you guys are really aggressive in squeezing the ball in the middle of the park uh do you feel this whole kind of um luxury player i i don't, I don't know if it's like you know a coin term but luxury players like Mesut ozil uh paul pogba at man united do you feel um there's something Deli Ali, Deli Ali at Tottenham. Do you think these yeah. guys, you know, that kind of just come and go, and they're not really consistent performers, um, are now kind of being faded out of the game, and that you know people are going for more of an old school, you know, hardworking midfielder? That that's open to everyone. I want to kind of get everyone's opinions on this. Uh, well, I think like nowadays, especially in the Premier League, I think you can get away with it. Maybe in the Italian league, or even the Spanish league, if you're kind of like a creative player. But if you want to do it in the Premier League, you've got to be creative, but also get stuck in and win those tackles, win the headers. And 
I think like the creative player now, it's kind of going extinct in the sense of like players like Ozil and the number 10. So that's just what I think about it. Yeah, I think uh, with the competitive nature of the Premier League and like, you know, this season's no different. We've seen some shock results so far. You don't have room for passengers uh, in your squad, essentially. Um, those kind of players I can see as being options on the bench in games where, you know, you're struggling to maybe uh, break down like a low block uh, against some of those teams. But most of the time, you know, you need 11 players defending. What, what, what do you make of it, Dave? Do you think... Uh... Do you think that, you know, the midfield you have, I mean, I think a lot of United fans would rather Decoure over Pogba as a midfield eight. I would have agreed until I watched James Rodriguez play this season. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like if you have the right players around, a luxury style player like that, then yes, you can get away with it. But I think there was a game, I think the Spurs game was the first game we played and James mm-hmm. Rodriguez recorded zero sprints during the entire game, um, which obviously is wild for any sort of player to do in a, in a full game is to not sprint once. Um, you know, if you have the players, like you know, we say we have Decore, we have Alan, and we have Gomez even, who as a three will all defend and, and put in a shift. And even Richarlison on the left, he defends quite a lot. He, I yeah. mean, I'm pretty sure he's one of the highest in tackles made in the league, just not like irrespective of where you play, just because of his, his, his work rate. So I feel like there's enough players around him where you can sort of afford to have him not, you know, working as much, but you have to have nine other players on the pitch to be do, putting the work in for that. So, so it's, it's, it's a bit like, it's not really him being a passenger, but him kind of pulling strings while the rest of them kind of carry uh, the work rate that he's not putting in. Yeah, so, I mean, he's, it's not like he's not working hard. It's just he's not defending. He's not, you know, he's not sprinting to close players down. He's not tracking back every five minutes. You know, he's he's there because he's a quality, quality attacking player. He can dictate the play when he's got the ball. You know, he can make things happen out of nothing. So you don't want him getting, you know, with with Hamas though. Sprints. With Hamas, he has got spatial awareness, and he's got an amazing ability if you like just watch how he kind of looks over his shoulder and kind of picks up pockets like just naturally like it it looks effortless but it's actually a very difficult thing to do especially at that level of football he's picking up the spaces and a bit a bit kind of like how Dimitar Berbatov did at Tottenham and later on at Man United where he would just find pockets of space and that would just almost kind of mesmerically afford him extra time on the ball to pick up like you know these these Hollywood passes that would just always find find their target um, well, that's it for him. He's got he's got that awareness. He's got that spatial awareness, and he's got that sort of football and brain where he knows that he doesn't. It was like John Terry, yeah, on the other side of the pitch. John Terry was never the quickest defender, but John Terry always knew what position he had to be in before the striker knew where to be in. Yeah he, yeah, he knew where to put himself, so he wasn't being stretched by. You know, if he had a, a fast striker playing him, he knew he wouldn't be want to be right next to the guy because he'd just take a touch and be past him. So he would always be two, three yards back and anticipate the tackle before it was even the ball was even played. Hamas is the same. He he knows where he wants to be, he knows where he wants to go and he knows where his players are around him. So, you know, it makes like you say, he makes it look effortless, but there's a lot of sort of, you know, mentally work put in there. But again, that's why he looks like he's not doing a lot of running and why he doesn't have to do a lot of sprinting around the pitch because he finds those pockets of space and he and he knows where to put himself so he doesn't have to do that. That was kind of the same with like Ozil as yeah, well. Yeah, I was just going to say. It looks like he's not running, but the distance he actually covers on the pitch when you see the match stats later, it's one of the highest on the pitch. It's just like, I think what Arsenal is missing sometimes is we have those box-to-box midfielders like El Nani, but we're too sideways, too defensive, and we have no one to make that final ball and that creativity. So I think it depends on like your match tactics and who you're playing. I think to have an attacking creative player, it's it's really helpful. And I know Liverpool's creativity comes from the wing backs and the wings, so that's why they don't need that creative midfielder. But even now, they signed Thiago, so yeah, I think I was just going to bring up Thiago actually. Like he's teams not, are trying to find the perfect balance, you know. But Thiago, Thiago, Ayman, he's not really one of those kind of hard grafting midfielders either. He's just quality, technical prowess, and spatial awareness, isn't he? And he can ping balls to either side of the wings with yeah. ease. His passing range and 
but still, he's a creative player, you know. So, Callum, like with the signing of Thiago Alcantara, um, you've kind of brought in a midfielder that's a different profile from what you have with, you know, Vinaldum, Fabinho, and uh, Naby Keita and Jordan Henderson. He he's he's kind of kind of he's built in a different mold. And do you think that that was something that uh, you know it was just you know the player was there and he was available and he's quality, or do you think Klopp was kind of looking to add a new dyma- dynamic to this Liverpool squad to kind of evolve the squad to kind of continue in this era of, like, you know, dominance? Oh, I, 100%. I think it was um, to find a new dynamic. If you look at most of Liverpool's play, it's like it's, it's all about intensity and closing down and making sure, like, like the, you win the first ball, the second ball. Like this, I, I always go back to that clip of Robertson. I think it was against City. We just kept chasing the ball down and chasing the ball down all the way back to Edison, and it like it wasn't even his like, like it wasn't even his place to chase the ball. But for Thiago, I think the reason why we brought him in is to break that back line down a bit more of um, um the opposing teams. So like when we're we're playing like the pressing and pre- breaking down the play. Sometimes the ball into, I guess, Salah and Firmino or Mane isn't always there, whereas he can just, he, he has the vision to pick the ball, like pick a pass from any position on the pitch with like the drop of a hat. So I think that's the reason why Klopp brought him in. And I think as well, yeah, it's the absolute quality. Yeah, I think it brings competition to the team as well. Like no place will be safe now in the, that central midfield. And it's that's the main point of um, Liverpool's play. As soon as like if if the ball goes past that, and the um, when players are attacking Liverpool, that's it. Like it's it's either um, a one on one with the keeper or one on one with the defend um, defenders. It's the most important part of the position in Liverpool's um, play. So with the with the result against Villa, Callum, mm-hmm. what went wrong? From your from your perspective, I know you didn't watch the match live. You you were um, out at the moment at the time, but having watched the highlights and kind of read the back uh, the breakdown and everything, like, do you think Villa were just able to play through your press and uh, exploit your high line, or or do you think just the Liverpool players just weren't there mentally or physically? I think both. I think they they found they well great play to Dean Smith. Like they found a way to break that press. They in between the lines, like like doubling up on men, and then just finding these through balls. Um, obviously the the first goal didn't help the confidence of the back four. But like I say, as soon as you get past that midfield, the defense then has to press, and because they're already so high up the pitch, there's just acres of space for people to run into, and it's just fifty fifty. Then what's going to happen? So, I think it I could mean, have been it could have been eight or nine. I, I think yeah. Adrian did make a couple of good one-on-one saves. Yeah, I mean, I I look back at some of the commentary afterwards, and Jamie Carragher was just laughing, like it was just comical. Like some of the they were all over the place. They didn't have a clue what the position should have been in there. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's strange because it's so unlike Liverpool in terms of structure and. Keep like having knowing your position and filling in for the players yeah. and stuff like that. It's beautiful seeing. Without, uh, go on, go on. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think without like Allison there, that the back line is really nervous, like positionally and yeah, with playing out from the back, it's just not as smooth as it would be. I think with Allison, I think Henderson as well. Like, I I mean Van Dijk is a great player, but I don't think he's as big as a leader as Henderson. I don't think he controls the play and the line as much as Henderson does. And I think I genuinely do think we miss him a lot since he's been injured. He's just he just bosses the players around and he, he makes sure people are, like they're doing their jobs. Dave, do you reckon the battle will be won and lost in midfield tomorrow? Ooh. It could be. I mean, Liverpool have a very solid midfield as well. I mean, you know, you put the likes of Fabinho Henderson, Vinaldum, just like you say, Thiago now bringing that quality in. I think it will be a heavily contested area of the game. I just, I think, honestly, the one thing that is probably going to be the thing that both fans are worried about the most, the thing that may sway the game is going to be the goalkeepers. Yeah. 
I think I think you've got two good fields. I think you've got two solid defenses. You've got two lots of guys up top who can score goals, and then you've got two clowns in goal who <laughs> should put me in you in goal, Dave. Oh, I just I don't know. I think it, it could honestly come down to who makes the least mistakes. Yeah, which it will be the most disheartening thing for any fans. I mean, the one I will always come back to is the. The um, Origi last-minute winner at Goodison a few years ago, which I think sparked the whole tiny hands thing, <laughs> was when he dropped it into his own net. I, even to this day, I still can't really wrap my head around what happened. Yeah, you can't, it have happened. A, can't have a goalkeeper at the top level doing shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what made it worse? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's struggling to save a word document at the moment. Like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and how is he the England's number one? Yeah, I don't understand that. It should South be Henderson. Doesn't he? he seems to be solid for England. It's when he I mean, plays Revan, he seems to have Nick, a, Nick, a, Nick Pope has been in woeful form as well. He's not been the greatest, and he still picks him ahead of Dean Henderson. So, yeah. I mean, obviously Henderson's not played that many games for United this season, but he's still he's always quality when he's called upon. So, I think he should be playing. Over De Gea. Do you really? I mean, De Gea has not really made any howlers this season. I think De Gea needs to leave, in my opinion. Yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? So you guys <laughs> can get some easy goals. Nah, I mean, he remember bro- he, bro- he broke He broke the save record against Arsenal. Uh, yeah, but remember that knuckleball and he went the other way? What about that? It was a lucky, lucky hit, right? Yeah, okay. It's always yeah. lucky, yeah. It's always lucky with Arsenal. You guys, you guys are lacking a lot of things. You play pretty far at the back, but... I mean, what we've seen recently with De Gea is he has mistakes in him which he didn't have before. The saves you expect him to save, he's not making those saves anymore. So I think I think a it's a confidence it, thing, but I think I think a lot of it is also down to the fact that our back line is playing much higher up at United uh, than it was prior under Louis Van Hal and Jose Mourinho. Um, I think that space is something that De Gea isn't confident or comfortable or naturally inclined to close down between his goal line and his back line and that is exploiting a little bit of his decision making or lapses in concentration exactly and i think this game against newcastle united is extremely important for united yeah it's it's going to be interesting it's to must see, win especially with like you know the recent kind of form of harry maguire who's been really under um a lot of scrutiny uh, in yeah. the media i think i think uh Listening to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's press conference, uh, you know, before the game, uh, he was talking about how, you know, he, he he looks he looks to Harry as the captain. He he hopes to continue starting with the team, and then he finishes with, but Harry's come back with a bit of a knock from England duty. So we'll see how he's feeling, and we'll decide if he starts against Newcastle. So I think that's just a little bit of you know media management from Ole, um, and he's probably going to have to give give Harry a rest because. I, I think he's just knackered. I think he's absolutely gassed. I think the mental fatigue, the pressure of playing for Man United, I think everything is just kind of, you know, piled up on the guy. And, and All the jail only, stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's only 27. So he's not much older yeah. than most of us on this podcast. So you can imagine, like, the human aspect of it. And, like, you know, right now in the UK, we've got a lot going on about mental health and sport. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. And I hope, you know, I hope... You know, everything does work out for Harry Maguire. We know what he can do when he's in form and confident and enjoying his football. But I think uh, it's, just, it's just all mounted up on him. Like Mason. <laughs> also, do you think these players like Tellez, Cavani, they're going to start? Or do you think they'd be so eased into Cavani, Cavani's still in quarantine, which is, which, which again, you know, that's down to, the board's business like why are you signing a free agent on the final day, day of the transfer deadline on on transfer deadline day when you know he's going to have to quarantine because he's been in paris um and he won't be able to he, he won't be available for selection let alone training uh Fakudo palestri young uruguayan lad he's been training i think he's had two training sessions now alex Tellis just came back from brazil duty and he's had a couple of sessions as well but i don't see them starting right away Okay. It's just, yeah, it's it's not a great time. I mean, we got PSG right after Newcastle as well. Cavani has to show up for that one. I mean, 
Yeah, we, we, we need a result. But um, interestingly, <laughs> Ander Herrera tested positive for COVID, uh, oh, our, no. our former midfielder. We ha- I think they have uh, Kim Pempe, uh, Mauro Icardi, uh, Draxler, and one other player injured. So they're missing a few, but they've got Mbappe and Neymar fit. So the threat is still ever-present. Uh, moving into the City-Arsenal game. Uh, Ayman, you were saying that this is probably the best time for Arsenal to play Man City at this stage of the season, given you know uh, City's loss to Leicester and your decent form at the start of the season uh, so far. Do you do you really do you think you can get something out of this game? And also with our like recent success against City, I mean, we showed that we can beat them, and that's like huge for confidence going into this game. And I'm not sure if Aguero is back. I hope he's not. But if Aguero's back, it's going to be a completely different game because City have been playing with like no number nine for the past few weeks. So yeah. all the, the game plan has kind of gone out the window. And I mean, I heard that De Bruyne also might not be fit for this game. Yeah, he's not going to be with- fit. Yeah, Guardiola confirmed it. But here's for me, like, I never take these, like, you know, um, this kind of news as like, Hundred percent, like confirmed, because yeah. we've seen it before where managers be like, "Yeah, he's not fit for tomorrow. We'll see." I don't know. I don't think so. And then they're in the, the starting squad. So, like, I think that happened with uh, Alice and last time we played Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. He was, I think. Uh, he was supposedly out, and then he's in the squad. Then we lost three one, right? Or four one? Yeah, three one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and personally, I'm, I'm more, I'm more like scared of De Bruyne in that city side than I would be Aguero. Yeah. But Aguero loves a goal against us. So does De Bruyne. I don't know. Who does a goal against Arsenal? Yeah, I think also the no fans thing has helped Arsenal in, like incredibly because when we play out from the back, there's no moaning, there's no groaning from the yeah, fans. Yeah, your your fans. We, we play shocking. a risky. Yeah, we play a risky football now. Like so, having no fans really gives confidence to the team, and I think it all depends on the lineup we put up against. We know that, like, we're seeing that Arteta was extremely important to City as well. Because since he's left, you've seen they haven't been the same, you know? So, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of confident. I want to win in this game. So, I want, like, I'd say 2-1, maybe a one-goal win. I don't know. What do you reckon, Sibs? Score prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly... I'm I'm cautiously cautiously optimistic, so I'd say a two-two draw. Two-two draw. Yeah, yeah. tells you everything about the man. He predicts a draw. Yeah, yeah. But I also told you, like, I'm 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 happier to get these like top six, you know, games out of the way, like early on in the season, um, just to like you know avoid any, I don't know, losing any momentum. Exactly. So yeah. if we win this City game. It's so important because then we have United, we have Leicester. So, like, this game will give us the confidence that we need for the next few games. I think now, with, with everything that's happened with COVID, the lack of preseason, the lack of fans in stadiums, and, you know, I, th- I think uh, the UK is going into Tier 2. Uh, do you boys know um, in, in terms of lockdown? Well, uh, I think Manchester, Birmingham, a few the places are in Tier 3. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. What were you yeah. saying, Dave? I was saying about, yeah, Liverpool are going to be tier three because the Tories hate Liverpool. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, I think everything is also kind of weighing in on the football because at the end of the day, you know, players are, players are people. Players are li- living in these, you know, cities as well. And, you know, it, it, it does have an impact, you know, on their lifestyle, on their preparation for the match day. And I think that's why you kind of see, you're, you're seeing these kind of results, these fluctuating um, results like like Leicester putting City to the sword 5-2 and then losing to West Ham. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I think... I think the crazy Premier League this year. Yeah, and, that, that, and with that being said, I think, um, Dave, you'll be happy to hear a lot of, a lot of people think that Everton can knock... Tottenham, United, Arsenal, well out of uh, the top four, and I think I think you know if you if you keep the squad fit, uh, there is there's an outside chance of you guys accomplishing that. How do you feel about those chances? 
Uh, it's again, it's very early to say whether yeah. we could or not. I think, like you say, if if we get some injuries, they could be detrimental to us. Although I, I think we spoke about this last week. We played the Brighton game without two of the three sort of midfield players that we would start with usually, and we still sort of ran the show. Yeah, which was sort of it was comforting to see that you know we don't we're not going to lose a guy or two and then sort of crumble. Um. So I think I think we've got a good chance. I like the way the squad's set up. I like the way the players are playing at the minute. Obviously, it's difficult to maintain that sort of levels over a full season. Um, Liverpool surely can be done for the majority. You know, obviously lockdown sort of killed them a bit. The sort of form curtailed as they got closer to winning the league, but they still managed to do it. But yeah, I think I think we've got a solid chance. I'm, I'm uh, excited for once to be able to. That being said, you know, after 20 years of inconsistent. Trials, tribulations, hurts, and joys. What is your prediction going into this Merseyside derby? Uh, Come on, Dave, give me a good one. I'm going to have to go with my boys and I'm going to say 2 1, Evan. Solid. <laughs> Love to hear it. What about you, Cal? Do you um, reckon uh, you can bounce back after that embarrassment at uh, Villa? Yeah, I mean, I think I've got a 100% record on predictions on this podcast, but. <laughs> Uh, I think no. I think Liverpool have a lot to um, a lot to live up to after, um, and I think there's especially with the the atmosphere of the derby and the what it holds um, for the city. I think I think Liverpool need to really bounce back. So I think it, for me, I'm gonna say a three two. Okay. Oh, it'll be an interesting game. Yeah. What do you What do you reckon, Iman? Uh, Merseyside derby. Um, I'm going to say 2-2, two, two, draw. That's what you want. I asked you what you think yeah, will that, happen. That's what I want, and that's <laughs> what I also think. I think Salah <laughs> will get a goal. I think Calvert-Lewin will also score. And I think it just depends who slips up, honestly. Oh, hey, everything, I like that, baby! <laughs> dropping some <laughs> Everything are in form, and they're firing. And I think if Hamas has a good game, I'm favouring Everton to win it, maybe. Hamas's game will be as good as his hair, mate. He's going to run the show. As good as his teeth, yeah? (laughs) Come on, toppies! Nothing on Firmino. (laughs) Nothing on Firmino. Firmino, yeah, yeah. But he spent a lot of money on that sex change, so that's another topic for another day. Um, Sibs, what do you reckon? Merseyside Derby? Honestly, I think we're going to see a 3-3. Again with the draws, man. Uh, no, but honestly, I this, think this game has draw. Yeah, well, like yeah. the thing is, because Everton's in good form, like you said, and uh, I think Liverpool will have a point to prove after the last game. So, given that both keepers are shit, they're going to cancel each other out. I think I think we restore parity and uh, have Liverpool lose two on the bounce. Is Mane fit for this game? Yeah, we got everyone back. Yeah, Allison. Oh, everyone. Yeah. Is it oh, Thiago? Is Thiago back? back? Yeah, Thiago's back. Every, um, Wait, what about Alan for Everton? Yeah, Alan. Yes. I heard he was injured. Now he's playing. And if Richarlison's fit as well, yeah, Dave? Richarlison's playing. Yep. Oh my God, this is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. What yeah, about Alex Wobi? <laughs> of course. Yeah, Wobi. Nigerian World Cup, man. What about Tom Davies? Oh gosh, I'm actually putting a bet on for the game right now. Really? I'm Tom Davies, your cousin. Uh, Dave, Dave, pay your bills first, please. <laughs> I've got both teams to score. To over two goals, over ten corners, Allen to get booked, Calvert Lewin to score, and Richarlison to have two tackles. Bring Solid. me the money. Solid. Um, I know we all we all uh, love talking about United on the podcast, but I think <laughs> the Newcastle game, just to wrap things up uh, for the sake of time, uh, it'll be interesting to see what Ole Ole decides on. We're going to be, I think, the third most interesting fixture of the of the Saturday, Super Saturday, and. I really think with United having to bounce back, I'm going for a 2-1 win with that. And I'm sure you guys yeah. would agree. 2-1 Newcastle, St. Maximin. <laughs> Is it home or away? <laughs> it's at, it's at um, St. James' Park. Ooh. And Callum Wilson as well will score. Ooh, yeah, I'm going to go with it. Yeah, it's going to be a good game, actually. Newcastle win. Yeah, Newcastle 2-1. Honestly, I'm not even joking. I think well, yeah. United. You know what? You know what? After after this is all done, thanks, Siba. Appreciate that. I'm going to smack all of you on the podcast when we do the, uh, <laughs> the Merseyside. <laughs> no, uh, just, I know you're guaranteed like at least two penalties. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm so, uh, sorry, we get in the box more often than any other, than any other team in the league. Uh, you mean? That's oh, yeah. Wait, I want to hear uh, your your predictions on the Arsenal City game as well. Um, I reckon it'll be a tight affair. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to. Obviously, the Merseyside derbies, uh, you know, prime viewing, and I'm I'm super pumped and excited for it. Just even talking about it's getting my heart racing. But uh, for Arteta versus Guardiola for the first game. Uh, they're facing one another this season. I will go for... It's going to be close, but I'm going to go for a City win 2-1. I don't think... I think Arsenal are going to win. I think... Come no, on. like... If, <laughs> I, I don't think Aguero will play. Kevin De Bruyne is out. Sterling's a doubt. Like, there's a lot of heavy hitters yeah. missing in the team. And the defense yeah, is shoddy. It's yeah. yeah, Edison's suspect sometimes as well. I'm going 2 0 Arsenal. Ooh. 2 0. 2 0. Okay. 2 0. Gabriel Listen, at the back. Listen, if. if, if, if Wait, Arsenal... well, I mean, he's, he's had a good record with predictions so far. If Arsenal, yeah. if Arsenal, Everton, and United win, I'm going to have a perfect week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only one loser in this chat. <laughs> That's not going to happen. We'll see what happens. And, uh, boys, it's always, it's always a pleasure having uh, all of you on individually. and it's been an absolute thrill having you guys together. It's probably been, for me personally, so thus far, the most uh, fun I've had on the podcast. Uh, it's great that you know we all know each other well on and off the pod. Um, and I'm looking forward to what tomorrow holds. And uh, we're, we're probably going to have another episode to follow up on our predictions and you know, hopefully console Callum after Everton smack Liverpool. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes and you know it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a mouthwatering few games on Saturday after a horrible two weeks of internationals yeah and for me I, I mean this has been fun uh, I really enjoyed the preview uh, personally like given that we've had you know a shock result like someone being smacked every weekend so far I'm kind of nervous who's going to be <laughs> this weekend <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward and like uh, hopefully you know Three out of four of us will uh, be happy uh, by the end of the week. And uh, just to plug socials, guys, uh, I'm on wants to remain anonymous, of course. Uh, we're going to have Dave on Instagram at dheaton47. And you can also find him on Twitter at dheaton underscore 47. As for uh, Callum, you can find him uh, on Instagram at calbirchall. And as always, you can follow us, the Armchair Managers podcast, on Instagram at Armchair Managers and Twitter at AC underscore managers. And if you're listening to Spotify, we hope you subscribe. And we're also on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and we regularly post on our YouTube channel as well, which is the Armchair Managers. We hope to have you guys uh, again sometime, and hopefully we'll have results that satisfy all of us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Thanks, guys.